and welcome to the Conspiracy Theory Test. My name's Ivan. And I'm Karen. Very welcome along. Thanks so much for tuning in yet again. Welcome back and happy Christmas to Karen and everyone. Happy Christmas, Ivan. I can't believe it. What a year. What a year. What a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> a weird, different kind of Christmas, but like a cool one. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think it'll be... No matter what you do, people are still going to have an awful lot of fun with it, like, you know? Yeah, it's kind of old-fashioned, like, everyone having to be... make do. <laughs> we just have to make do. That's I, it. I don't know where I was going with the old-fashioned, like, weird nostalgia there. Like, everyone remember the Spanish influenza? Yeah, great times. Ah, that was a great Christmas that year, I believe. <laughs> memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I got your hand sanitizer. <laughs> Ooh, what I needed! <laughs> Um, it's lovely to do an old Christmas episode. It is. It is nice to do it, particularly after our leave of absence last week, which was totally my fault. I ha- hold my hands up. My life just got in the way. <laughs> How dare you have so, a life? The only person I, in 2020 who had one. <laughs> I know. How selfish am I? <laughs> but that's pretty cool. And uh, I kind of almost love our absence because it makes me realise how much I love doing this. That's true. It does make the heart grow fonder, for sure. <laughs> Not what they say about absence. I think that's what I think so. <laughs> They're actually talking about absence. Oh, yeah. It makes the heart grow larger. <laughs> As a toy. And then you have a, and then you have a cardiac arrest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that fairy. <laughs> so, Karen, this week I have stuck with Chris, the Christmas theme. What about yourself? So I've got Christmas themed as well. But mine, I have a selection. I'm going to do a selection box of theories, if you will. I wish I had thought of that. Oh my God, that's oh. amazing. <laughs> a selection box of theories. There we go. I'm doing it. I'm on the same theme as you because I'm not doing one deep dive. I'm kind of doing your Christmas stocking. I'm giving you 10 minis. Ooh, 10 minis. We like it. So this week, staying on theme... Uh, this is on the theme of Christmas because I'm gonna ruin things for you like that one family member always does I'm that family member I was gonna say it's probably me (laughs) I'm very heavy-handed with the gin on Christmas morning now I'm not gonna lie (laughs) like any uh talk about music I love turning to well John Lennon was actually not a good guy so <laughs> imagine <laughs> I'm absolutely the feminist buzzkill so I'm uh, it's, love it <laughs> but also Christmas themed uh, I'm giving you 10 so now that I've said it out loud that's quite a lot I'll try to keep it short 10 theories on it's a wonderful life amazing so strap on in and i'll tell you here we go so first i'll give you some sources i've got uh some bits from mental floss the new york times that film theory and americana.org sweet so i'll give you a little bit of background hopefully i don't have to give you too much background i'm sure everyone's heard of us but then we might have some young listeners blah 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 so basically the film is a 1946 black and white christmas classic if you haven't seen the film you've probably seen the marks it's left on pop culture like uh 
I want to live again, all that stuff. Um, mm. It also inspired the names for Sesame Street characters, Bert and Ernie. Oh, no way. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't. And I haven't read that anywhere, but I was watching the film yesterday, and uh, which is why I, like, I'm not very imaginative. That's where I got the idea to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the policeman and the cabbie who helped George throughout the film are called Bert and Ernie. Amazing. Now, it was a huge film. Obviously, the names uh, that were related to us at the time were already big names. Frank Capra had been directing since the 30s, and Jimmy Stewart, who had the leading role, was already a big name too. So I just got a brief, quick description of the film from IMDb which is an angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. Okay. Do you ever worry that you'll get your own Clarence and see that everyone (laughs) that you love and hold dear is actually a millionaire in an alternate reality without you? Oh, I'd be ripping. I'd be absolutely (laughs) ripping. So annoyed. all of my family on a yacht being like god it'd be terrible if there was somehow someone called Ivan here <laughs> yeah that does your worst nightmare it was like oh great guess I'll die then <laughs> sorry for being born <laughs> oh man yeah so it's meant to be the ultimate feel-good flick and it's kind of based on it's a nice story in that like I think a lot of stories if you look at the little mermaid and all that are follow your dreams no matter what it takes but it's a nice story about compromise and community so it's meant to be the ultimate feel-good flick Mm -hmm. but I'm here to tell you that it's not (laughs) that there's a lot all right then I'm with you (laughs) lots of dark crevices to us so okay we'll launch right in with theory number one and that is that Mary do you know his love interest mm-hmm. and ultimately his wife? Um, that her wish is ultimately what causes everything in his life to unravel. Okay. <laughs> so I will bring you back to the part in the film. It's their first kind of date. Um, at the end of the night, they walk past the Granville house and mm-hmm. throw rocks at the windows and if you manage to smash a window you can make a wish so mm-hmm. George throws a rock smashes the window and then he tells Mary that his wish is to see the world travel to never come back but Mary throws a rock and doesn't tell George what her wish is until literal years later when they're already married and she knows she's pregnant and her wish was that George would settle down and marry her. Mm-hmm. All we want for Christmas is a ring. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, she's not a feminist icon, I, I'll have to say that about and her. And she doesn't mean on the phone, Ivan. Oh. She doesn't mean on the phone. <laughs> she wants a rock for Christmas and not the one she's throwing through windows. <laughs> um. So what happens then is that her wish comes through and but at what cost what did she put out into the universe because what are the reasons that her wish came through 
well, first George's dad dies, then he and ultimately stops him from killing himself so that he can really never escape Bedford Falls. Oh my gosh. And even bigger, causes the 1929 stock market crash. Damn. Yeah. So what did she put out into the universe to make this one lad stay there? I should elaborate as well, saying that it caused the 1929 um, stock market crash by meaning that they couldn't leave on their honeymoon. Just for those who haven't watched it recently, the bank run happens just as they're about to leave and ultimately George has to use all their honeymoon money to bail out his customers. Oh no, okay. So yeah, things like, did you watch the film recently? And when you watch it, you're like, oh God, there's a big chunk of us that's so depressing. Yeah, I haven't watched it in ages, but yeah, it wouldn't be my go-to feel-good Christmas movie. It's I, I love it, but it it's it's long and it's depressing. <laughs> but uh, it's no book of Christmas Carol. I'll tell you that. Well, that is the ultimate best Christmas film. It really and truly is. But we might even come back to a Christmas Carol later on. Ooh, intrigued. A little while to go before then. So the next okay. one is <laughs> also a pretty good one. It's that Bedford Falls would have been better off without George Bailey. Mm. Cruel, but try to imagine, okay? So okay. this was brought to us by a um, article in the New York Times by a journalist called Jemison. And he says that when we look at the town, Pottersville rather than Bedford Falls as uh, George walks through us mm-hmm. he's it's actually an absolutely whopper town right <laughs> it's a big tourist resort of a town it's got like big movie theatres it's got um, nightclubs and people are out in it like like it's not a morally particularly good especially for the time <clears throat> but it's a resort and there's a lot of stimulation and a lot of entertainment and we can see that like there's a big contrast from that at the end when he realizes he's back in Bedford Falls and he runs through the town the only entertainment you can see is the cinema is showing a film called um, the Bells of St. Mary. Okay. Which shows that with George Bailey in it, Bedford Falls is really a morally oppressive, ultra-religious town. Fair. And we can go one further here. And yeah. Because Jemison spoke to an economist about this. And the economist confirmed this theory that certainly economically, it would have been much better off. It's based on base. Uh, Bedford Falls is based on, um, kind of the upstate New York small towns at the time, mm-hmm. and George Bailey brought manufacturing to us by having his friend. What was it? Sam. Sam brought a big plastic plant to the town, 
but none of the upstate New York towns at the time survived, even with manufacturing. The only oh. one, so the only town that survived at the time was a resort town that had casinos. So mm. that proves that ultimately, maybe not morally, but economically, Bedford Falls would have been much better off in the Bailey Free iteration that is Pottersville. Damn. Yeah, cruel. Everyone's nightmare. Yeah, and we were better off without you all along. <laughs> At least fiscally. <laughs> so number three, Donnie Darko is a reverse version of It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so it's apparently Super cool. the mirror image retelling of It's a Wonderful Life. So in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, a middle-aged man meets an angel who convinces him he should live. But Donnie Darko is about a teen who gets visited by a demon who tells him that the world will die and everyone will end if he doesn't die first. Wow. So kind of the bunny suit guy in Donnie Darko is basically evil version of Clarence. Maybe. Maybe. So number four is that the film's happy ending is actually incredibly depressing lovely (laughs) so there's a whole video on this on youtube and it's what appears at first to be about uh, the collective love of the town for george um but there are little things to point out that it's actually a continuation of george's like personal hell So this starts by saying that George is basically cursed to stay there forever. Even okay. when he wished for suicide, he couldn't die. Mm-hmm. But then when he gets in, he realizes that he's not going to prison. So can't even go traveling in the sense that he goes to prison and is that round right. to Bedford Falls. And Damn. one big piece of evidence for that is that in that same article that I spoke about in the New York Times, Jemison points out that even if they had regained that money, George still would have been liable for the okay. crime. Like if you rob a bank tomorrow and you return that money, you still end up in court charged with bank robbery. Yeah. The crime still happened. And he does, as we remember, take the fall for his uncle. I should have mentioned that there's spoilers. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen it, just in case. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's at this point 70 years old. Go watch us. <laughs> <laughs> 80 years old, maybe by now? In early. Maybe. So he can't even escape by going to prison. He also definitely cannot escape the reliance of so many townspeople on him which they know by offering him this unpayable back loan ah that's how they get you that's how they get you and there is if you isolate that from the rest of the feel good kind of climax here they present him with all this money and then they all collectively sing while maintaining eye contact with just him 
which oof. yeah when you take out that scene and isolate it it's eerie as hell but tell you what's even more eerie and i'll put it up on the socials it's you can freeze frame a part a single split second in the film and it shows how good james stewart's acting is he runs into the house and he kind of hugs and kisses the uh guys who are there with the warrant for his arrest uh-huh. and he's delighted with himself and then he then he comes in finds his family all of the townsfolk come in but as they explain what's happened and that he's free from going to prison and that he won't have this sentence there's a split second where he first his the dawning realization on Jimmy Stewart's face, and then he kind of grimaces, mm. like his whole. And it, it's one of those things you're like, ah, I bet it doesn't happen like that. But when you watch us and you watch out for us, his whole face just falls. Okay. And it's such a contrast from before when he looked just elated coming in and hugging and kissing reporters and policemen and bank auditors. Yeah, absolutely. So when you isolate all that out, actually a very depressing film or ending where he can't even escape the town that he originally absolutely hated, even through suicide or prison. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) We're going to jump back up to something a little less grim here with number five. Number five is that George is a socialist. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he really like redistribution is George's vibe. Yeah. And the whole film is very much anti gentrification. Of course. So, he wants to give loans to everyone, regardless of their work requirements. And he builds affordable, high quality housing for the entire town. And several times throughout the film, redistributes his own wealth, uh, particularly with, with the demonization of the banking industry through the Great Depression. And this theorist um, claims that he represents President Roosevelt's New Deal, ideal, ide- New Deal idealism and that Mr. Potter represents the anti-New Deal Republicans of the pre-World okay. War II era. I mean, I can see it. I always kind of wondered what is the political message behind It's a Wonderful Life. Is do you reckon there is a political message behind it? Like for the time it was written, like I think because it came out in nineteen forty six in okay, America, yeah. there's no way it couldn't have one. And I, I, yeah, I kind of though I'm one of those people who believe that even if there's no political message, it's still a political message. Yeah. And the whole thing's about finance, so I think there has to be some sort of, and family values, so there has to be some sort of message behind us. Do you think there is? I mean, I would agree, yeah, like, particularly for the time that it came out, that maybe it is that kind of, like, we're, we're all in this together almost, or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of like an ideological one rather than a political one. Absolutely. So you're going to get a kick out of this because the next theory is that George is an ultra conservative. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> this claims that he's the bedrock of conservatism, that 
he, <clears throat> even though he wishes to explore the world, he has a huge, places huge value on small town community. And that okay. without us, uh, there would be kind of a lot of inequity. <clears throat> and also that he wants to give out loans that are stifled by modern banking re- regulations. So maybe more libertarian than conservative. Okay. Well, two sides of the same coin, really. And yeah, of course, to be fair. the constant um, Christian overtones throughout the film. I mean, yeah, that, that happens the whole time. Yeah, that like God is our narrator for the first half of the film. I just watched Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square last night. Oh my God, what did you think? So delightfully cheesy. So, so cheesy. <laughs> so delightfully cheesy and a little bit cringe, but very like, I forgot how like heavy she is with the Christian overtones as well, but it was great. You forget because she's such a gay icon. Yes. But she's the great unifier. She can throw you this really Christian thing and you're like, yeah, Dolly. Absolutely. You just, you gave us the vaccine. So anything you say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying it was any of the scientists. I'm saying it was all Dolly Parton. <laughs> well, she was the books behind us. <laughs> she was. Literally saving the world. We knew Dolly would save the world in the end. I knew. I've been saying it for years. I, it's so funny that you watched that last night because we watched it a few weeks ago and then last night watched drag queens reacting to the film. Oh, wow. So good. Was it amazing? I have to watch that. Uh, yeah, I'll link you straight after this. It's, it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of actually... That film is kind of like a modern It's a Wonderful Life, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. And I would have taken Clarence more seriously was he Dolly Parton I think I think we all would have to be fair (laughs) so it seems like either way um, whatever side of the fence you're on politically you want to claim George as your own fair and he is he is a big like he's a he's kind of a, a like a contradiction in himself like Big on redistribution, big, like, open-minded, but also very family-orientated and quite Christian. It's a weird okay. film like that. Yeah. So we'll move away from political ideology now, and I will tell you this original one from the Mental Floss article, which is that George is stuck in purgatory after killing himself. Oh! this one, like harks back to our Halloween episode for anyone who hasn't listened go back and listen to that because I'm going to reference that now it's that he wasn't saved he actually did jump off that bridge and he did die and because his wish was now the wish he makes is after he saved but that it seems like around that time the overarching idea he had is that the world would be better if he'd never been born so because of that and because of the sin of suicide according to the bible that's not my mm. view but i'm so I'm just giving that disclaimer and um, yeah he has to relive the hell of the world without him in us oh wow. 
and it's not so we it seems like we see the happy ending but the happy ending is a false pretense that he's getting another shot when really what's gonna happen is it's just gonna reset again oh no yeah awful in us that is awful but it might well be true that, well, if our shining theory is anything to go by, it's the plot line for most films. <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. Next up, I've got an alternate reality theory. And this one comes from the person we owe so much to. It's Laura. Yay! She has a little input here that if George had taken the job with Potter he would have made the town such a better place to live. That he had his own principles and his own ego. But if he had put those aside, he actually could have taken the job with the significantly older Potter, who, let's face it, had to be on the way out at some point, and gained complete control of the town and used that for good. Because as we know from the film, George is actually a very savvy businessman. He just doesn't take any surplus for himself. So with this, he could have had the surplus um, to build even more resources. Oh, maybe. And we can push it one even further because he was offered a hugely high um, salary. We did a little bit of maths earlier and came up with the... 20 grand a year he was offered in the 1930s would have been approximately 204,000 a year in today's money. <laughs> so he could have taken that money since he was living on meager resources anyway. Yeah. He distributed it, used it to clear the loans with Potter that every person in the town had and ultimately ruined Potter. <laughs> Damn. And so that theory is basically that ego stood in the way completely. Maybe. The the next theory is my own hot take. Oh, here we go. I love a hot take. (laughs) All I want for Christmas is some hot takes. (laughs) My theory is that because of film censorship of the era, George ends up with the wrong woman. (gasps) I know, controversial. And let me super duper hot take. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Do we remember Violet from the film? Mm-hmm. My theory is that she was far more compatible with George than Mary ever was. If you remember okay. when she comes to George for money, she is also thinking of escaping the town. She is also more open-minded than anyone in the town. And she <clears throat> she also looks for... She wants to leave. She's open-minded. She is fairly sexually liberated, particularly for the time. Which, <laughs> which we never see that much of a glimpse of. But from his, like, risque humour on his first date with Mary, George is too. Okay. So they would have been far more compatible. 
would have left the town. Also, we see like Mary puts up with a lot of George's guff, whereas when Violet is with him and he goes off on that tirade about walking barefoot through fields and stuff, she like basically slags him a lot. So he would have been challenged and stimulated and fulfilled with Violet and ultimately would have gotten out. And I can take this theory one step further, thanks to, again, some uh, resources from Laura. It's the Hayes Code. Okay. The Hayes Code is a code of moral conduct that was enacted by filmmakers at the time because they didn't want external censorship so they basically had to make films with only good moral results basically so you would never sympathize with a criminal you'd never sympathize with someone of poor morals they would always get their comeuppance and the good person would prevail and that was how you got past censorship at the time there was even 25 thousand dollar fines for breaking this code so that is why we see that george does not end up with violet george never even sees violet as a viable option despite her basically intermittently presenting him with the option throughout his life from very young childhood Hmm. instead we see their friendship in the form of her coming to him for money and in an alternate reality she doesn't end up with someone else and she still doesn't leave Bedford Falls slash Pottersville she ends up as a criminal who's being chastised by police Mm. so that is the theory of how patriarchy stood in the way of a much better love story damn patriarchy always Mm. honest everything (laughs) everything good taken away it has been exactly zero days since the patriarchy was added again (laughs) and i've one last theory for you hit me with it again it's a hot take by myself love it and i think you'll like it because it's a bit out there much like we are ourselves (laughs) yeah we're no strangers to this so the theory is that george bailey is actually just Scrooge reframed. Oh! Now, sounds like it's out there, but like Scrooge, George is in the money lending and property business. Okay. And like Scrooge, George repeatedly puts his business at the, uh, at the forefront over his family or love life. Like, we see George, when the bank run happens, gets out of the car that he was in with his wife on the way to his honeymoon, goes and balances the books, as it were, with his own personal money that he was using to go on his honeymoon, and isn't back in contact with his wife until the end of the working day. Hmm. And I personally draw huge comparisons between that. It's almost scene for scene. With the scene when uh, Ebenezer's scene, I guess, slash chapter, it is easy to forget that it's a book originally, um, when Scrooge uh, meets with his fiance at the time 
and tells her that he's not ready to get married, that there's still a lot of business to do. You can see it as well in kind of reiterations like Bill Murray's Scrooged when he refuses to join in with kind of fun at the Christmas party because he still has paperwork to do. The idea is that it's just framed differently, that George Bailey's business is supposedly honourable and community based, but is ultimately still the same business as Ebenezer Scrooge had. Okay. <clears throat> and just on that, don't forget that because he, he basically, like nowadays, we would call George Bailey's actions poor self-care. Yes. <laughs> he really should have asked for help long before it got to what it did. And you can see that because at, in his home life, like on in town, a pillar of community, but in his home life, George is kind of like an angry, violent guy. Mm, we see for sure. A few outbursts. We see first he sees like the first time he kisses um, Mary, he actually shakes her first. He gives her a good shaking <laughs> and screams in her face. It's like how that ended in kissing is not Bizarre. 2020. And also chastises his kids and wife before going off to uh, do the deed. Wow, okay. So that is my very grim, festive conclusion on It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> so it's not that wonderful at all. <laughs> not for George, anyway. <laughs> Loads there. I think my favourite one, though, for me, was the he's stuck in purgatory. Oh, yeah. That is like a conspiracy theory test kind of signature move, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's a goodie. I like that one. But I like that there are two different theories on his political ideology as well. Yeah, that's really good. That was great. It was so good of him. Cheers, a few little shadow dives. I wish I thought to call it a selection box. That is such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> a cheese board. A cheese, a cheese board. board. <laughs> Not quite dessert. Now we're moving on to dessert and a coffee. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> We've had a little bit too much to drink and we're about to fall asleep in front of the semi. <laughs> I want to be lulled into us with your theories, Karen. Right, well, here we go. Mine, a lot of this comes from altpress.com uh, and then a, a YouTube video and a little bit of Reddit, so fan, the fan theory subreddit. So, Van, I'm also doing theories, but I'm doing multiple theories on multiple Christmas movies. Oh, great. Can't wait. Can't okay. believe we didn't overlap. Well done, us. I, well done, us. We'll see what 2021 will bring us, but well done, us. <laughs> So the first one comes up with, in keeping with the theme of making your favourite Christmas movie absolutely devastating. The heartbreaking theory about Max the dog from The Grinch oh, that Jim Carrey stars in a few years ago. Oh no, Karen. Max is my favourite. Right? What are you going to say? <laughs> that he became mates with The Grinch because Max was actually dumped. He was an unwanted Christmas gift. Oh no, and that's how he ended up on the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was dumped on to Mount Crumpet, which is where all the unwanted Christmas presents go. And then uh, the Grinch, that was where the Grinch resided as well, with un unwanted holiday gifts. So they just, this is what they alleged that they that they ended up, you know, it worked out pretty well in the end for both of them, I feel. But oh, that's sad to think about that way, though, I think. But also the ultimate rescue dog story. 
that yeah. kind of nice? It's like all the little dogs that end up with lovely new owners. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna take. Okay. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Okay. My next one. Frosty the Snowman is a demon. Oh, I like this already. <laughs> Who was brought to life by children accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, practicing dark magic. Amazing. I love that. Right, so this, this stems from the, the 1965 cartoon that was brought out in America, based on the song that had been released, I think, the year before or that year. So basically, this chick, Emily, in her video is like, well, you know, it was a pretty mild day the day they made the snowman. What type of children have that much coal at hand around Christmas time event? You... Who gets coal? Oh, they were the bad kids. They were on the naughty list. Oh, stop. Oh, oh amazing. Yeah. And come here. Um, D- yeah. Does my memory serve me right? Does Frosty marry people? He officiates a wedding, doesn't he? Uh, no, that you're thinking of in the meadow we could build a snowman. Oh, Carson Brown does it. I was hoping there that um, Frosty had officiated some satanic weddings there. <laughs> That'd be mad, wouldn't it? That'd be great. It's the whole cult. <laughs> the whole thing. We blew this thing wide open. <laughs> so, yeah, the alleged, so she goes on in the video to allege, well, they stole or the hat that they got for Frosty to bring him to life was a magician's hat. But how could the magician not make the hat magic but the tiny children could? Because they're evil. There you go. They're evil. I'll buy it. So he's, and he has coal for his eyes, for his brain. I'm telling you, Van, it sounds like he may well be evil. And they brought to, they brought him to life. Because if you see it in the cartoon, they dance around him in a circle. Oh. Demons. Very, very evil. Very hereditary. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that he might be a demon. That's given me a few shivers. There you go. I I would well believe that he is. I'm on board with that one, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Here, here I go, ruining another Christmas no. movie for you. And that movie is Elf. Elf. Uh, here we go. Are you ready for this? Ready. Buddy from Elf is a creep. I can buy that. He absolutely really? is a creep. Yeah, I watched it recently. You reckon? Again. And I was like, creep. Right. So I'm going to read this. is from the uh, subreddit fan theory. Okay. So he seems pretty innocent in everything he does, except there's one part for this Redditor that sticks out like a sore thumb. So midway through the movie, Buddy hears Zoe Deschanel's character singing from inside the locker room somewhere in the store. So he goes to investigate because she's singing a Christmas song, obviously, and he loves Christmas. So she's actually singing in, I didn't realize as well, she's singing in the shower. And Buddy begins to sing along with her. And when she notices, she freaks out and yells at Buddy to get out. But he immediately clasps his hands over his eyes and makes a mad rush to the door. Uh, and only to hit a locker. So then when Zoe... <laughs> Sorry, classic. It's a great movie, though. It is a great movie. <laughs> so funny. From start to finish, it's so good. <laughs> so when Zoe then confronts him afterwards, Buddy, and asks Buddy why he was in the ladies' locker room, uh, Buddy replies by saying, I didn't know you were naked in the shower. Ah, elves, they don't understand shower. It's very funny. <laughs> but Evan, Buddy knows what a shower is. And he knew that she was naked. Oh my God. There's a scene at the stars where he yes. can shower. Exactly. But he does know what a shower is and he knows that he has to be naked to take one. So 
basically being that this sycophant that he was, he was trying to peep on Zoe while she was in the shower and he played his sick fetish off as innocence and just wanted to sing a Christmas song. Pervers, definitely. Yeah. Other things that happen in the movie, he brutally injures children on the way home from school with snowballs. <laughs> He clocks them, doesn't he, in the head? Yeah. He uses his obsession with syrup, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to get drunk on the job. That's a disciplinarian. Straight over. Yeah, absolutely. And then doesn't he also verbally abuse a man with disability in the film? Oh, the little person. Yes. Yes. There you go. Which is absolutely cruel and has not aged well. Not at all. Definitely not. And Much he, like the Christmas cake you swore you were going to eat this year. <laughs> that poor bit of fruit in the corner. <laughs> Absolutely. And he really zones in on a much younger looking woman. Yes, he really does. There is a weird age gap, isn't there? There's kind of an all, always a weird age gap in Will Ferrell films. I'd like to see him with an age appropriate woman, I have to say. But didn't, well, look, uh, Nicole Kidman was definitely... Uh, the yeah, will uh, wait. I'm not losing my train of thought there. Oh yeah, no, Nicole Kidman in that movie Bewitched was would have been around the same age. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay, I'll give him that. But is this is this Zoe Deschanel again in Stranger Than Fiction? Maybe. Oh yeah, maybe. Certainly a much younger woman. And actually, I didn't know that Will Ferrell is only thirty five in Elf because he's perpetually looked. 40 hasn't he yeah i was just about to say i would have said he was in his 40s yeah looks much older i i think the elf costume is the least weird part of that whole relationship yeah absolutely so that's my elf theory which i think again kind of plausible i'm into it okay uh then another one <clears throat> kevin from home alone grew up bec- to become jigsaw from the saw movies karen We've had a near miss. I was no. I was nearly doing this one. <laughs> so you know then that he is Kevin is troubled. He's violent tendencies, and he does record videos at home. Oh yeah, yeah. He's already shown signs at that point. I forgot about the videos at home. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I've... I'll leave you with a couple of more. Go for it. Sorry, I was just gonna say I have a little hot take on that as well. Right. So, yeah. do you know the way, sorry, I'm just throwing my oar into all the theories tonight. Do you know, Go for it. Do you know the way he, so Jigsaw, kind of, I know he mainly he wants to make people live, is it appreciate life or live life to the fullest, that kind of thing? Something like that. So, but he also takes, ultimately takes the law into his own hands. And, yes. like, punishes people as he sees fit. Could he have developed this disenfranchisement around um, social services and public forces of the police when he was younger and there was a failed welfare check on him by police? Oh. They call in, they go, ah, nobody's home, and then they leave. Wow. Yeah, true. So obviously I buy this theory. Amazing. (laughs) In sticking with the Home Alone theories, Gus from Home Alone is the devil. Gus. Remind me who Gus is. Da, 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 da. And 
Gus is the guy that Kate McAllister goes back to the airport with in the van. Oh, John Candy, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So this guy, this quote again comes from comes from Reddit. Okay, so so they they maintain then from so the redditor who pu- published this this is from a few years ago as well, but the redditor who published this basically says that the scene from about the 104 mark uh, she says if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself that's as soon as she says that the camera pans or you can see Gus then and he takes notice of Kate and he approaches her oh wow yeah so the, their evidence then to suggest that he's a, the devil is the location so Scranton Airport okay so there's the crossroads located right at the airport there's a myth regarding the crossroads demon so it means that in a nutshell, you can give an offering to the devil near a crossroads, the devil will show up and deliver it in exchange for an offering. Oh, wow. So then, after that scene, Gus offers Kate a ride to Chicago that she was willing to sell her soul for and that she agrees to do that. So she essentially sells her soul. So Gus, when she agrees, smiles and points out points to his friend renting the van and then he shows her that he's honouring his side of the deal because she's already put up her side by giving her soul away. Oh, and I believe, um, I believe Gus interjects and um, makes this offer before her conversation with the airport staff is over. So we don't exactly. know if there would have yeah. been a price. Yeah, exactly. He gets to her before she can finish that conversation with the rep. And I had a little bit more on this, Royce. So it's just mm-hmm. coming to my head. So I'm sorry that this isn't... Um, researched and I don't remember the scene uh dialogue for dialogue but do you remember in the van she's talk he's talking about she's talking about leaving her leaving Kevin alone being worried about the ramifications and he says he also forgot his son but the son was then non-verbal for years okay yeah 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 and then he points out every member of the band, the so-called bands that are with them, also have terrible relationships with their families. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So is this a huge journey for kind of hell-bound, um, I suppose, loners and um, people, other sinners, basically? Maybe. The other thing that this uh, thread points out is actually Gus's choice of instrument. So obviously the traditional instrument associated with the devil is uh, the fiddle, but Gus has a woodwind instrument, but apparently there are some loose references in the Bible to instruments uh, that are created and favoured by the devil being from the woodwind section. Oh yeah, doesn't the devil play a pan flute a lot of the time? When he's going yes, to- which is absolutely, if anyone's ever heard a pan flute band, devil music. <laughs> Polka is definitely devil music. <laughs> completely so that's the theory that Gus is actually the, the devil and fair enough he could a deal but what kind of life did Kate McAllister have after that well as we know maybe he cursed her because it happens again there you go oh my god is she in purgatory doomed to read oh my god this mistake again and again isn't that so funny that would be hilarious oh I love it I love okay. it 10 out of 10 thank you I'm going to leave you one more and this one might be my favourite. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is Donner's bastard son. <laughs> cool. Perfect. 
again, via Alt Press, I found this, uh, but again, it's from Fan Theories on Reddit. So, again, it's based on Romeo Muller's screenplay for the 1964 Rankin-based Christmas special. So, Rudolph doesn't look like his mom and dad, and where did he get that red nose from? Shouldn't his mom and dad have a red nose as well? Okay. Again, when all of the other reindeer find out about Rudolph's nose, Santa's reaction is to get mad at Rudolph's father. Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why should Donner be ashamed of himself? Just because he tried to hide the nose? Okay. Yeah. So, the rejection of Rudolph is extreme, extending to Santa and the adult reindeer coach. Uh, along. So, from now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? And along with his dad, to some extent. So you could argue that the culture of the North Pole was simply to reject and exclude misfits. But Hermie the Elf wasn't rejected as extremely as Rudolph, even though he was a misfit. Oh, it's just a strict moral religious code. Exactly. So Hermie was terrible at his job, but he was only rejected after refusing to work and support the other elves at toy making, not to mention the singing in the tenor section. But Rudolph is great at reindeer things, and you could even argue that it's a racial allegory with Rudolph's birth being biracial. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, it has to prove himself more than others have to prove themselves. Yep, the extreme nature of the alienation from adults is Clarice's dad refusing to let Rudolph even be seen with Clarice. And again, why would a red nose cause such hate in an adult? Except that it's a sign of infidelity. There you go. Or the red nose is like a scarlet letter A. Oh, Scarlet. Rudolph is an illegitimate child, a bastard, and unclean birth. Oh, wow. Grim, but very plausible. There you go. Do you want to hear, hear something go for like, positive about that uh, particular special, though? Yeah. It's public domain, and that Ooh. is why it's used on the telly in the background in loads of Christmas specials. Like, it's on throughout um, that 70s show. Christmas. Oh yeah, that's de- I didn't know that. That's deadly. Isn't it nice? It's cute. There you go. So again, whose child is he then? Is he Donner's child or is he his mom's child? So again, Donner's shame at his son and Santa's anger at Donner is evidence that it's Donner's illegitimate child. So Rudolph's nose, a constant reminder of Donner's infidelity. Okay. Aside from Santa's anger at Donner, uh, Rudolph's mom says, "Well, we'll simply have to overlook it after Rudolph's birth." So it seems Rudolph's mom is good at overlooking at imperfections because including her husband's infidelities. Oh, wow. So again, there that isn't a birth scene. It's a scene of Donner after bringing back his battered, like Eddard and John in Game of Thrones. Oh, and it comes full circle. And what's their there? There you go. Snow? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Christmassy. <laughs> Christmassy. Oh. Right? Go on. The only person who refers to Mrs. Donner as Rudolph's mom is Rudolph. The narrator only refers to her as Mrs. Donner. And meanwhile, the narrator, who seems to be all-knowing, says the following lines about Donner being Rudolph's son. It was springtime, and Santa's lead reindeer, Donner, had just become a proud papa. Now, you can bet old Donner felt pretty bad about the way he treated Rudolph, and he knew that the only thing to do was go out and look for his little book. Oh, heartbreaking. Right? So, obviously, um, obviously, Rudolph doesn't know. No. The truth. Oh, so sad. Absolutely. There you go. And again, you could actually say that in the, the subtext of the whole thing, 
is religious intolerance, puritanism, but racial prejudice as well. Lots of uh, lots of lessons in that one. Lots of lessons in that one. So that is my selection box unwrapped, munched away on, and ready for disposal. I love that selection box, and unlike the Cadbury selection box, there was no little fudge left behind. <laughs> Not at all. Everything in that was worth champing away on. That was brilliant. Which was your favourite about? My favourite, um, I think it might be, like, there might be a little bit of prejudice because I'd looked into it a little bit. But no, actually, there's no prejudice because I'd looked into the jigsaw one. But my favourite was the deal with the devil. Home alone. Very cool, wasn't it? I have to re- when I rewatch it now, I'm gonna have to keep my eye on that particular scene. I think, yeah, if you start the scene, it's like a minute into it where she says, I will sell my soul, and then Gus clocks her and walks over to her. Layers upon layers, definitely. That, like, um, as layered as a trifle, Ivan. As layered as a trifle, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of jelly on top, yeah, great. And um, obviously, I want to rewatch Home Alone as well because it's kind of dark, isn't it? There's no need for torture, the guys. <laughs> oh man, excellent! So that's our, that's our, that's it. That's our last pod of 2020. Yeah, happy Christmas, everyone! Thanks for sticking to, with us so much. 2021 is going to be the year of the CTG. We'll be absolutely. And thank you so much to everyone who's listened since we started in October. I think Harry was us around that time yeah yeah and everyone who's stuck with us or is just joining us now for the first time or recently for the first time thanks so much for making like for making lockdown bearable for us absolutely and thanks so much for engaging with us on the socials sending you know sending suggestions chatting away to us all the positive messages and stuff it's been it's been super great to, to hear and to take part in so because i think now you can disagree, Karen, but because we've both done many, many uh, theories this week, isn't it mad that we both went for loads of different ones this week? We're totally in sync, I'm telling you. We're so in sync. Uh, we might do a few polls this week. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think a few polls. A few North polls, Way. if you will. Hey! <laughs> You're busting them out, it's great. Dishes <laughs> them out like Santa's present. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks so much, everyone. You can get us on the conspiracytheorytest.com. You can indeed. And all our socials are there our Instagram, our Twitter page. We have the email address if you want to email in or send any suggestions. Um, and have a very, very restful, peaceful, happy Christmas. And uh, we'll chat to you in the new year. Chatty in the new year, guys. Thanks very much. Happy Christmas.